0: Thank you very much. Hope that wasn't too bad. Uh, Jonah chapter 3 is where we are today. We're in a series in Jonah, and it's serving as sort of a precursor of of a vision series for us. As we uh, are in a season of where we are moving uh, to a new location, but wanting also to recast and re-understand our vision as a community, And really, in a sense, it's a vision for the body of Christ in large, but for New Valley to focus our vision, what we're about. And I chose Jonah for this series because I want to focus on our hearts as a community. It's one thing to talk about vision and values and that kind of thing, but if it doesn't flow from a heart that loves God and loves people, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, right? Right? And so Jonah is one of these books where we learn and we see from his bad example, right, of his anger towards God and his anger towards other people, how not to behave and how not to be. So we're studying Jonah together. We're going to look at chapter 3 right now, and I'm going to read the passage for us. And then after I read it, we're going to stop, and I'd like to pray for us as a church for downtown, but also for our nation as so much of the South with Florida and Georgia and stuff about to be totally engulfed in this hurricane. Let's pray for our friends there. Jonah. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out to mighty God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and for the violence in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and may turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said would come to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we lift up downtown to you even now as they, as they meet together uh, on this significant day, and we pray for Gray, and we pray for the, the leaders there, that you would bless them, and that uh, your spirit would be among them as they, as they work on your behalf. For the sake of this great city, bless them, Father. Draw many people to you through their work this morning and in the coming days. And Father, we pray for Florida. We, uh, we lift up um, the most vulnerable people in this situation, the people that have had to remain for various reasons, for the elderly, for the infirmed, for the poor, uh, for people on the margins of society that perhaps are in the most vulnerable conditions, Lord, for property, for animals, for the whole state. Father, we pray for your grace and your mercy to be with them in the midst of this great trial and storm. And I pray that you would use this opportunity, Father, humble us as a nation as we suffer. And, and we can realize, Father, more and more that we are not in control. In spite of our wealth and our technology, our science, we cannot control nature that you have created, Father. You indeed are God, and we are not. And we humble ourselves before you and say, Father, have mercy on us. We pray for our nation that you would have mercy. We ask in Jesus' good name, amen. Today, as we talk about Jonah 3, I have one really overarching point, and it's this. Our hope is not that people can change, but that God can change people. Our hope is not that people can change, but that God can change people. I mean, if you look at it, I don't know about you, but as I look at my own life, it's hard to change, is it not? You want to lose weight. You want to stop doing something, or you want to start doing something. It is difficult to change, And so if I look only within my own resources and say, I have to do it all, it's, it's sad, really, because you think, can anyone actually change? Can life be any different for anyone? But our hope is not in the power within, it is in the power of God to work and change people. There's been a huge shift, though, in the last 100 years or so in our theology, especially in America and the West, which has put us at the center of what we believe and the center of our universe, saying, we can do it. We have the power within. If we will just look within, inside of us, we can find all the resources within in order to change. But the Bible says something a lot more stark than that, and it seems less hopeful. But honestly, to me, it's where I find the most hope, and it's this. Although the resources are not within us to change so much within God, there is power. I want to echo what Paul said in Romans 3. None is righteous, no not one, no one understands, no one ultimately seeks God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And in essence, that is the story of Jonah, if you think about it. In this story, you have a really religious man in Jonah, okay, who is a prophet of God, He's a pastor. He's the son of a pastor. And in spite of that reality, you don't see Jonah and say, there's a good man. There's a man after God's own heart. You see this religious man who's running from God, literally, and then you see the irreligious people in their violence and their wars and their injustice. They, too, are running from God. But the the story of Jonah basically points to both of them and saying, they both have a huge problem, and they both need to repent. Jonah is a story in broad strokes of the whole Bible of sin on the one hand and brokenness, which represents us, and then God's power to redeem, to restore, and to save that which is lost and broken and fallen. And so we find great hope this morning. Um, I saw a great tweet this week where it said this, everybody is hopeless, but there is hope for everybody. Everybody. Everybody's hopeless, but there's hope for everybody, and that is the essence of the gospel. On the one hand, you have to admit that you're broken and needy, but on the other hand, there's great hope. There's three points this morning, and i got to admit, they're a little cheesy, okay? And I've, I've actually, within the three points, I've got a lot more points, too. You're getting your money's worth this morning, okay? It's first, as Jonah is sent, the city relents, and the Lord, no, 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 I've already blown it. Jonah is sent the city repents and the lord relents. Jonah is sent first. Jonah is sent finally. God has been sending this man on a mission that he will not do until now. Jonah 1 through 3. The word of the lord came to Jonah the second time saying, "Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, call out against it the message I tell you." So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. What is your greatest fear? After this weekend at the box office, it's probably clowns, right? (laughs) But for Jonah, his hugest fear in life was this, that that God would be merciful to his enemies. That God would be merciful to the people of of the Assyrian people. In chapter 1, we read that God said to Jonah, Get up and go to Nineveh and preach there. But Jonah ran in the opposite direction. Rather than heading to Nineveh, he he, he headed to modern-day Spain. Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. He would not go there he eventually does begrudgingly and he finally does today get up and get there begrudgingly and like Jonah we often run from God's will and this is a total side point from our message today and not the main point at all but I really would like to stop and just ask you has the Lord been placing on you in your life a calling towards something we tend as Christians to think only in terms of the things the Lord is calling us to stop doing But has God been putting a conviction in your heart through God's people, through his word, through his spirit to be doing something, to demonstrate his grace, to demonstrate his love, his mercy, his goodness to somebody? To love God, of course, but to love other people. Has he been putting something on your heart? I think of the number of times God had to put on my, to convict me to be a pastor. I did not want to do it for the longest of time. It began when I was in high school and it continued through college and I would ignore it and ignore it and ignore it. <laughs> Is the Lord putting something on your life that you're on the run from? I, I think you can see from the story of Jonah, it's, it's not worth running against. The Lord will have his way. So, we see Jonah. He went to this great city, it says, this exceedingly great city, and Nineveh was a great city. In the 1800s, archaeologists uh, discovered the location, and they did this huge dig, and they found the city walls were so wide uh, that you could drive three chariots on top of the city wall, side by side. The enormity of it was this, it, it was 1,850 acres. And to give you some perspective of the size of that, Tempe, excuse me, ASU in downtown Tempe is 650, 42 acres. So this is about three times the size of ASU's campus. It was a royal city. It had a botanical garden that it's well known for, and a zoo. And we learn in chapter four that there were about 120,000 people living there. That is the size of the entire city of Tempe. It's a great city. God loves cities, by the way. Cities are a place of art and culture and education and banking and commerce. And it's where people gather. And that's why the Lord has a heart for cities. You are the apex of God's creation. God created all things and declared them all good. But then when he got to you, humanity, what did he say? It is very good. God loves art, God loves culture, God loves when people gather together and even though there's brokenness and sin in it, there's also ways in which it reflects God's glory because we are image bearers and when we work and we cultivate, we bring order out of chaos, we we bring glory to God and the Lord loves cities. Jonah traveled into this great city, a violent city, but a great and enormous city filled with wealth, power, and he preached a one-point sermon to them and it was this. You're going to burn. In 40 days, God is going to overthrow your city. Most hellfire and brimstone preachers have uh, a two phrases to that, right? It's turn or burn. He skipped the turn part and just said, burn. You're going to burn. You got 40 days, and you'll be overthrown. The word for overthrow is the same word used for God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. And so he is preaching hellfire and damnation, but with no good news whatsoever, no gospel, no hope whatsoever. When I went to Purdue, there was this traveling uh, pastor named Brother Jed and his wife, Sister Cindy. Brother Jed had these huge suspenders on, and he would come out to the center of the mall at Purdue, and he would preach hellfire and damnation with no hope and no grace, and Sister Cindy would join him there. (laughs) How many of you went to a college where Brother Jed and Sister Cindy would come? Okay, I see about four or five people, and they were same in the first service. They were huge in the 80s. I see that hand. They would just point their finger at people and call them names and say, you're going to go to hell. And I remember the conversations I would have with people afterwards. And it, trust me, as a Christian, it was breaking my heart the way they were approaching this. And nothing good came out of it. But what happened when Jonah preached the same message? Something remarkable. This mean-spirited, awful missionary, he has no love for God, well, very little love for God and no love for his enemies, preaches out against them. And what happens? The city Repents. Jonah is sent to these people he hates, and they repent. It's his worst nightmare. (laughs) Verse 5, the people of Nineveh believed him, and they called out for the entire city to fast and to put on sackcloth, and and some of them were sitting in ashes, right? Why ashes? First of all, sackcloth is just like what it sounds like. It's clothing made out of like burlap sacks. It's meant to be horribly uncomfortable, and, and it demonstrates humility. Even the king put on sackcloth, sat on ashes, I am dirty. I am poor. I am unclean. I'm uncomfortable. Verse 8: When the king heard Jonah's message, he, he called for a citywide fast. Not even the animals were, were supposed to eat anything or drink anything. He agreed with God. The king did. We deserve judgment. Let's repent as a city, and perhaps the Lord will relent from this coming disaster. And God did relent. The third point: Jonah 3:10. When God saw what they did, he, they repented how they turned from their evil way, that literally is what repentance is. God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And I've got amazing news for you guys. Whenever anybody repents, the Lord does relent. The Lord turns from his anger. When you turn in humility, the Lord always relents from judgment in Christ. We see that the people humbled themselves before God. He showed them mercy, and there literally is this citywide revival, in essence. You can't control revival. It's funny, where I grew up in the southeast, uh, most churches uh, would, would plan for revival. They would put it on the calendar. They would say, a pastor is coming from out of town, usually named Billy, and, and he usually had another name. Ricky Bobby, the pastor, is coming in to do some sort of revival, but you cannot plan revival. You cannot put it on the calendar. That is of the Lord. This morning, I want us to see this, that God is on a mission to lost, broken, and sinful people, and that includes us. God is on a mission to lost, broken, and sinful people. Our Lord is a missionary God. He's always been on mission. One of my favorite passages is 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. Verse 17 is literally the first verse I ever memorized as a new believer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new has come. Paul goes on to say this, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does the word reconcile mean? If you think about it, class, <laughs> what does reconcile mean? When you reconcile two parties, two people, what what you're doing is you're taking two people that are at odds with one another. There is brokenness in a relationship. There's distance. When people are divorced, they need to be reconciled. When they're isolated from one another in family relationships and and at work and so forth, you need to be reconciled. And when you reconcile, you're bringing two parties together. And what he is saying here is all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us a ministry of reconciliation. What is implied here is that in our natural state, we are not at peace with God. You and I are not born into a right relationship with God because of the fall, but through Jesus, through what he's done for us in his life and his death and his resurrection, we have been reconciled. He is our peace. And when you come to faith in him, you are now reconciled to God. But this is the hard part that is scary for us. You now are given a ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors. And it says even that God is making his appeal to people through us. An ambassador, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents one kingdom while living in another kingdom. You and I are ambassadors in the kingdom of this world for the kingdom of God, in essence. You have been reconciled to God through the blood and the life and the work of Jesus Christ, now living in a foreign world as aliens, in a sense, and as ambassadors. And ambassadors do everything they can to bring peace to that city, to make right relationship between the two nations. And that is your job. That is my goal. That is your goal, to be ambassadors, entrusted with the ministry of, of reconciliation, that God is making his appeal of the good news through you and me. What keeps us from living as ambassadors, though? Because many things do. Let's face it. And I've got three points under that, and then I've got like five more points later, so sorry. But the three points under this are this, and, and there could be so many more, but the first one is this. What keeps us from being ambassadors is that we lack faith that God actually changes people. And I have to admit, and I want to confess to you, that at times there are people in my life that I just can't believe that they could come to faith in Christ. That there are people in my life, family members and friends and some people I'm very close with that have said to me so repeatedly and demonstrated so convincingly that they don't believe, they could never believe, I'm glad you believe, I could never believe, that frankly I grow hard-hearted and start to wonder and doubt as to whether they could believe. I'm not only believing that about people, like individuals, at times I start to worry about that for our whole nation and the state of our heart as a nation. And we need to be reminded that life change does not come from people changing, but through God working. Our faith is not in that people can change. Our faith is in the reality that God can change people. So as you live in genuine relationship with people, I've got good news for you. You don't have to force your faith down their throats. You can't do it. You can't convince anyone to believe. You can't force them to believe. You can't argue them into belief. That's an impossibility. I have tried it, and I'm sure you have too. It doesn't work, but you are freed to believe and to hope in the one who can change hearts and life. As a preacher, I don't think I could ever do this job if I didn't believe that were true. I get up here On Sunday mornings, week after week, and when I speak, here's the reality no matter how good a sermon I've prepared or not prepared, if God doesn't show up, nothing actually happens. The hope is not in a great sermon, eloquence, amazing music. The hope is in the Lord who changes lives. Second, another reason I think why we fail to take on this role of ambassadors, we feel ill prepared. Some of you don't feel ready to be used by God to bring good news to other people. You don't feel holy enough. You see the sin in your own life. How could God ever use me? You don't feel spiritual enough. I don't pray enough. I don't read the Bible enough. I don't know enough answers to things. If, if people ask me questions, you know, like, what would I say? I don't even know the, how to fully explain the gospel, you might say. But look at Jonah. He hated these people. He despised them, and yet when he spoke, God brought the power. I'm guessing your heart is not as hard as Jonah's. Perhaps it's hard, but maybe it's, it's probably not nearly as hard-hearted as Jonah's heart is. And friends, if you have any love for people at all, any concern, any care, I promise you God can use you as you seek him, as you pray. And finally, I think this, we live in fear over faith that God, again, that God can change people. We, we let fear grip us and we're terrified, but I want to appeal to you because there is nothing more exciting in life I have found than seeing someone come to faith. When God uses you, whether it's the words you say or the love and hospitality that you give somebody and the friendship, when God uses you to draw somebody closer to himself, there is so much power in that. It's life-changing for you as well. So I have a challenge for us this morning. More alliteration, but it's this. The person, prayer, practice, and preach. First person. Who is God calling you to be praying for? Who? As long as we talk about this in theory, there's not much power in it. Like, friends, I want to challenge you and to think about, and I, I have to honestly search my own heart and think about this as well. Is somebody on your heart that God has placed in your heart to be an ambassador towards? To love, to reach out to, to be praying for. Two, to pray. There's not any power outside of the Lord in this. So the person, who is it? And it's not so that you can like plaster their name everywhere and manipulate them or whatever, but it's to begin to pray for them. And third, to practice real relationship and friendship the greatest thing you can do to be an ambassador is to love people well. You cannot make them believe. You cannot force them into belief, but you can love people with hospitality, with grace, with the grace that God has given you. You can give to other people. And finally, if and when the Lord gives you an open door to speak, you preach You think, I can't preach, and I'm not talking about a sermon. I'm talking about with your life and with the story that God has given you, your story. You know your own story, right? You can share what God has done for you, even if you don't know the particulars of all the Scripture and the Gospel or the Biblical story, which I commend you to learn and to understand more and more of. But friends, you know what God has done for you, and you can share the hope that you have within you. You can tell your story. You can invite you can point them to the scriptures. You can invite them to this church. We do everything we can at New Valley to let the gospel be the main offense. We're seeking to do, stop doing anything that would keep people from coming to know Christ other than the gospel itself. I know that's offensive. Let that be the primary offense. Who? Who, who is God calling you towards to pray for, to be a legitimate friend to? And then when the Lord gives you an opportunity to speak, Friends, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation because in Jesus Christ, you have been reconciled. You, who were far away from God, do you remember who you were and where you were? You've been reconciled by the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Let that be uh, then for us, empower us to be ministers of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, as we look within our own heart, we see that life change is so difficult, it's so slow, and at times, Father, it's discouraging. We get hard-hearted as we look at outside of ourselves as well, and we think, can anyone change? Can anything be different? But Father, we depend upon you for our our lives, our, our hope, our salvation, our sanctification, to be more like you. Father, we pray that your spirit your spirit would come among us and make us to be ambassadors for you, giving us a ministry of reconciliation. I pray, Father, that you would enable us to be specific, that you would help some of us to truly think of people in our hearts and our life to begin to pray for them. And I pray that out of this moment that we may see people actually come to know you and walk with you. We pray for our great city. We thank you for Phoenix. That you've placed us here in this time, in this place, this great city filled with beauty and wonder and also brokenness. Father, help us to be great ambassadors for this great city. We ask in Jesus' good name. Amen.